y'all seem to be back today, trying to get away from the front. So if you want to change your seat at any point, there is available seats up front, lots of them up here. Uh, but otherwise, find your way over to Nehemiah chapter 11 this morning. Now, I'll be honest here. Um, there are some passages of Scripture that are exciting to preach, that you long to preach, that you just, you know, you can't wait till you get to them in certain books, right? Philippians 121, Ephesians 2, Romans 8 and 9, or Genesis 12, 17, right, the first few chapters too, or uh, Nehemiah 8 was actually a lot like that in the book of Nehemiah, and you get to 8 and you're really excited and it's a great passage to be preaching on, uh, but then the passage keeps going on, um, or the book keeps going on. See, other passages, uh, upon first reading them, the, the first thought that kind of goes through your mind is how in the world am I supposed to preach this? Uh, in fact, Graham said when he read it earlier this week, that was kind of his thought. Um, today's passage is solidly in the realm of tough-to-preach passages, uh, and, and mostly because if you're getting there and you're looking at it, you're starting to see it's mostly a list of people from various families with their various roles in, in, in Jerusalem, and we've already seen a lot of those in Nehemiah, actually. Uh, and, and so this is the sort of passage, if we're honest, really test whether we really believe 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, when, when Paul uh, when, when through Paul, rather, God declares all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for, uh, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, we do believe that. We absolutely believe that. And, and so here we are in one of these passages that, that's not really exciting, if I'm honest, but, but it's kind of amazing when you get into it and you start saying, okay, there's, there's things the Lord has to teach us here. Um, and I'll tell you right off the bat, because again of all those names, we're going to read just a small section uh, at the beginning of Nehemiah 11, and then I'm going to summarize the rest of the passage, which is not usually the way I do it even when we cut, read a small section. Uh, and, and then I want you to keep the passage before you, because we're going to look at some various sections, uh, portions as we, we make our way through that there. So, uh, so let's, let's go ahead and read in Nehemiah 11, starting in verse 1. Did I, did I pump you up? Are you excited after all that? All right, <laughs> Nehemiah 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the providence who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his own property in their, in their towns, Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin, uh, of the sons of, uh, sons, of, sons of Judah, right? Uh, and so right there, I'm actually going to stop there. I know that feels weird. The rest of this, as it goes on, is it's, it's this list, right? The descendants of Judah, the descendants of, of Benjamin. Those are the southern tribes. We're going to see more priests, more Levites, more gatekeepers. There's a list of the various villages where they lived. And then in the first half of chapter 12, uh, it's a list of more priests and more Levites. Only these are the guys that ca came up with uh, uh, Zerubbabel uh, long, long before. And, and that's where the passage ends. And so at this point... Uh, I'll, I'll say this, right? The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Uh, Abba, Father, incline our hearts to your testimonies. 
Open our eyes so that we might behold wondrous things in your word. We, we believe there is something for us to learn from this passage on this Lord's Day morning. And so, Holy Spirit, please enlighten our minds to understand this passage, to apply this holy text to our lives. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our glorious Savior. Amen. So, some years back, how many of you, any of you from St. Louis? Wonderful. One of you kind of? All right, so I'm not going to offend anyone today, right? Uh, some years back, we, we took this family vacation to St. Louis, Missouri, uh, and, and we loved a lot of it. We loved these uh, giant root beer floats they have at the Fitz uh, Soda Shop. If you get a chance, I highly recommend it. We, we had a blast at the City Museum. It's the weirdest museum I've ever been in, but it's fantastically fun. Uh, I highly encourage you to check that out. No matter what your age, it's worth going to. Uh, we, we avoided Emo's Pizza, and if you know anything about it, it's because they have this weird cheese they call Provel cheese. It's like cheese whiz on a pizza. Uh, it's absolute anathema. Do not ever touch that. Um, but one day we, we found ourselves making our way. We were hitting all these tourist stops, and we were making our way down to this place called the Crown Candy Factory. And as we traveled, it was impossible not to notice that uh, on both sides of the streets and, and levels back behind it even, that there were just tons and tons of abandoned houses boarded up windows, no windows at all, uh, knocked down into pile or half a house in a big pile with, uh, you know, all the, the shop places we'd pass, the windows are knocked out, there's no merchants, it just looked abandoned. It, it was no surprise then to, to later learn that uh, after Detroit and Baltimore, St. Louis is the third fastest shrinking city by population in our country. Jerusalem at the time right here, at Nehemiah's time that we're looking at, has, has just rebuilt these walls surrounding the city. Um, but the structures inside the city, all the things that were about daily life and commerce and, and, and living, right, are in similar conditions to those things we saw in St. Louis that day. And it raises this question, right? So, so what happened to Jerusalem? After all, Jerusalem is, is not an ordinary city, is it? Right? L look at verse 1. How, how do we see Jerusalem referred to there. Not just Jerusalem, this big old city, right? Jerusalem, the holy city. Holy, right? It has been set apart by God for the purposes of God. This is the location of the Lord's temple. This, you know, at, at this time, right, this is where God is most present with his people on, on earth. And, and, and back in Nehemiah 1.9, we, we learn that God has promised, saying of Jerusalem, I, I have chosen to make my name dwell there. This is a unique city. If you've read much of the Old Testament, then you know Jerusalem is the center of, of Jewish life. Uh, since the time of David, this has been so. This is where the priests go, right, to make sacrifices for the, the sins of God's people. And, and you probably know control of this city has been uh, a battlefield, right, being fought after over many, many years. You probably know it more from recent history, but uh, even after Israel, right, the Assyrians controlled it for a time uh, and then the Babylonians come in and they overthrow the Syrians and they control it for a while. And, and those guys, punks, if you will, actually destroy the temple itself in 587, uh, which is only rebuilt like 71 years later. And, and while this second temple, right, the, the rebuilt temple, it's, it's not as majestic, it's not as, as, as bejeweled, if you will, as the original temple, temple. It, it still shimmers in absolute uh, beauty. But by the time that Nehemiah began this pra practice, the, the holy city itself has been without walls for 142 years. And you and I hear that and we think, well, so what? Our city doesn't have walls and everything's fine here. But 
here's what it means. It, it, was, it was absolutely defenseless in the world that it, was, that, it, that it existed in at this time. Can you imagine if our, our nation had had no military for the last 142 years? Or, or could you imagine if, if you're home, right, you go there and you find out there's no doors, they've all been ripped off, the windows are busted out for anyone to just come through. You, you might think, you know what, I'm not sure I want to live in that nation. I'm not sure I want to live in that house. These don't seem like very safe places to be. Again, right, without walls, it was impossible to defend Jerusalem. And, and that's exactly what Jerusalem looks like at this point. It, and I think it's hard to get our heads around this, right? But, but Nehemiah summarized it well in uh, chapter 7, verse 4, where he said, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. You start to get this idea. Over the years, Jerusalem has been ravaged by by all sorts of invading enemies. It it has been looted of all the valuables. Enough time has gone by, right, that it's in shambles. And you can imagine that there's long grass and weeds and trees growing in places they shouldn't be and and broken down houses in the middle of the street. It, It probably looked like a scene from I Am Legend or Zombieland or one of those other apocalyptic shows. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a place that anyone actually wants to raise a family. The people that were living in the rural areas there were, were more than happy, weren't they, to come in. Let's, let's help this out. Let's help them rebuild. We, we often are, right? We will go into that place and we will put some work into it. But, but when it comes to actually leaving their hometowns, leaving their farms and settling there, that's not what they want to do. Um, you see... More things we see here is that having a solid wall is absolutely necessary for a city in this time, in this location, um, but, but people were needed because the gates needed to be manned, the walls needed to be manned with people, commerce needed to return to the city so there was business and, and money to be made and things for people to do. They needed merchants and they needed bakers and they needed carpenters, they, they needed people for the temple to, to function properly. Remember, this city has been great, and it can absolutely be great again, and everybody there wants it. They all say, yes, we want to see this, this city flourish. We want to see this, the holy city of God just grow and do well, but very few of them want to be the ones to actually make that happen, to make the sacrifice, to go and live in this shambles of a, of a city. Verse 1 is, is very clear, right? The, the civil and the religious leaders, they're, they're already living there in Jerusalem, they, they go willingly, probably, if we're honest, talked into it by, by Nehemiah or someone. Uh, and, and since so few are willing to make the move to Jerusalem, Nehemiah has this interesting plan. His plan is for a tithe, meaning a tenth, right? Not, not a tithe of money, not a, a tithe of harvest, but a tithe of people. One, one out of every ten uh, are going to have to move to, to Jerusalem. They're going to cast lots. Something like modern-day rolling of, of dice. It, it's, a, it's a bit like the military draft during Vietnam, right? When not enough young men had volunteered, to, they were chosen randomly to, to go to war. Now imagine your, yourself for a moment that you're in Jerusalem at this time. How do you think you would have responded to this? Right? None of you want to go, so, so one out of ten we're, we're going to send anyway against your... your volunteering. Could, could you imagine if, if we as a church decided, you know this, this neighborhood back here, we really, we really want to see a gospel influence there. We have, we have good desires, and you're all like, yes, let's do that. The Tesons live there, so they're like, yes, let's do that, right? And, and, and so our elders just decide, we're, we're going to put everyone's name in, into a bucket, and we're going to draw out a few names and decide who's going to go. And if your name is drawn, you have to, to move to this, this neighborhood, 
No matter where you are right now, what, what your plans are, I, I actually have a bucket like that. Imagine if we will, right? This, let me give you a few. Coatman's, you're moving. You're okay with that. Uh, Nathan Bailey, you are moving. Let me give you a few more. Uh, free guns, you're moving. Pask, you're out of here. I'm going to give you two more. Uh, Batty, y'all are going, Daniel. And, and Brand Moss. I know you like your house. I like your house too. But you live here now. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine that? that? That's what's actually happening in, in this situation here. Those of you in the army are like, that's not a big deal. We do that all the time, right? <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many people end up here at Fort Riley and they, they tell us, you know, we make this list of places we want to go. Fort Riley was not on that list, and that is incredibly common. That's why they can sell that shirt in Aggieville, right? The, uh, Kansas is not that bad. Um, our, you know, RUF intern, Knox, he's somewhere oh, way back there in the back. What a slacker. Uh, Knox is in the same boat. When you sign up to be an RUF intern, they say, you know, he goes and says, hey, I'd like to be an intern. And they say, that's great, Knox. We're going to tell you we're going to live for these next two years. Uh, and, and they send him off. He, he has no choice in it. Now, now look at verse 2 here, right? It says, and, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now, because this comes after the one out of ten plan, right? You see this in order. We, we know this is not some separate group of people that just volunteered anyway. And they're like, oh, thank you. That means less of us have to do this. And, and, and the, the significance here is, is this, right? It's significance because that means this is referring to a new attitude of those people who didn't volunteer, didn't want to go, their name got drawn, and we're seeing this new attitude of them after they have been chosen. And so here in this passage, we begin seeing how this passage, or how this piece of Scripture, this bit of Scripture is incredibly profitable to you and I. Here we see this inspiring submission to the sovereign will of God in their life, and it, and it wows me, and I hope it will wow you on some level too, they, they don't fight against this ruling. I feel like that's what most of us would do. That's what my heart would just be so inclined to do. Who are you to tell me where I'm going? I have a house and sheep and things, right? They, they, they don't fight against it. They, they see the hand of God in it, and they submit themselves to it. This, this, is, this is Proverbs 16.33 being believed out, being lived out in actuality. Do you know what Proverbs 16.33 says? It, it says this. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And keep in mind, in, in their culture at this time, casting lots was, was an incredibly valid way of discovering God's will for their lives. It, it's, it's amazing, right, at, at how these Old Testament saints, though, just viewed obedience to the Lord's purposes as, as more important than their, their own lives, their own plans, their own setup. They're so on board with what God's doing here. They had to pack up their stuff. They had to, you know, go to this city that they clearly didn't want to be in. They had to build their house because they're not there already. They had to figure out the lay of the land. Which grocery store am I going to go get wheat or whatever in, right? They, they, they had to find some new way of, of making a living because most of them are coming from agricultural settings or, or ranching settings, right, and, and, and wouldn't be able to, to continue what they're doing. They, they are so on board with building up the city for the glory of God and they just had this, had to trust the Lord every step of the way. And they do. I, I find their willing submission shamefully convicting of my own heart. I've already kind of told you that, right? 
You and I, we, we know God's divine will for our lives in regards to a lot of things. Holiness, for instance. We, we, we don't have to wonder what, what God's will for our sexuality is or uh, for how we steward our, our, our money and our time, how we share the gospel with others, how we, how we meet with the Lord in His Word and in prayer and, and some of the things like that. We, we know that it's the will of, the, of our Father in Heaven that we love our neighbors, that we love the Lord. We, we also know that things happen in our lives that we don't desire to happen in our lives in and of themselves, suffering of all sorts. You, you don't want to lose your job. You don't want a medical diagnosis. You don't want your, your spouse or your friends or your family to abandon you. You, do, you, don't, you don't have to cast lots in your life to know these things are the sovereign will of your Heavenly Father. And, and yet, honestly, does your submission to God's will look like these people at all? Ever. I know it's a struggle, but ever? Similarly, there are Christians who walked away from, you know, in our life today, from well-paying careers to be used of the Lord in less glamorous roles for the furthering of the kingdom of God. I'll tell you a, a quick story that just came to mind this morning. Um, I'm, you all know I'm a sports fan of different things. Anyway, FC Dallas is a soccer team. They're pathetic historically. Anyway, that has nothing to do with it. Uh, they've got this player they drafted one year, a guy named Ryan Hollingshead. He finally had this dream to be in the Major League Soccer, and he gets drafted, and, and his brother is starting a church in somewhere in Washington State area, and, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to go, I'm going to go help my brother start a church, because I feel like this is what the Lord is, is there's a work the Lord's doing here, and I want to go and be a part of that. And everyone thought, that's so dumb. You're going to walk away from soccer for a year, you are not going to be ready to play it next year, you never know if you can get this chance to do it, and, and he does it. And, I, you know, it, it's worked out. He's still playing for the team, and it's been, I don't know, maybe 10 years now. But, but it was such an amazing thing. It was interesting to see the world look at this and say, this guy is an idiot. Why would he do that? And yet for him, he was so confident. I'm, I will walk away for that because there's something the Lord is doing that I feel called to be a part of. Um, and, and listen, that's one of these examples we always tend to do, right? Something in vocational ministry, that kind of thing. It doesn't always mean missions. It doesn't always mean vocational ministry or that kind of thing. It, it might mean caring for an agent parent or, or serving in a local school or, or helping someone with their business to really understand it, to be able to do it in a, in a godly way, uh, or, or even just raising your family well. When, when we submit to the Lord's will in our lives, it, it, it usually feels like a great deal of risk. It requires a great deal of prayer and trusting God. And, and listen, that's what walking with God is like. It's terrifying at times. So this probably raises one side question for you, right? The, the casting lots issue. Uh, can, we, can we just go and draw straws, right? Or is it okay to consult a magic eight ball on, you know, should I marry her? Um, for making these incredibly important decisions in your life. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say casting lots is, is sinful, but there are better ways for you and I to discern the will of the Lord today. And I, I say this because the, the last time in, in the scripture that we see God's people using lots to discern God's will is, is, is after Judas, right, dies. And they say, we got to replace this apostle. We need a new 12th or a 13th one, if you will. Um, and they decide, they, they have these two men, Joseph and Matthias, and, and they're both qualified for the role, and, and they decide, let's cast lots and decide who's going to be the next apostle. Uh, and, and the lot falls in Matthias, and, and that's how it goes. Now, now here's why it's significant. That, that occurred before Pentecost. That, that occurred before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's people. 
which, which you who are redeemed, who trust in Jesus, you, you are indwelled with, with, with the Holy Spirit, right? The third person of, of the Holy Trinity who helps us to discern the will of the Lord at times. That, that's, you know, partially how we ended up moving to Manhattan for this church plan. We didn't like, let's, Travis says it's a good idea, let's roll dice or eight ball, you know, whatever it might be. We, the other part of this too for us, right, is we, we have the whole canon of Scripture. We, you know, revealing so much of God's will for our lives. The First Thessalonians 4.3, right, plainly states, this is the will of God. And you're like, oh, what's it going to be? Your sanctification. And that's disappointing to us because we want more sometimes, right? But, but that gives you an overarching theme here of, of, of what is the Lord's will for us, right? You, you see, we have far greater spiritual privilege, privileges and resources than, than God's people in Nehemiah's day had. had. So I, wouldn't, I don't know if I have enough ground to say, no, you should never cast lots, but, but we have greater resources today. Uh, still, we, we must admire just... The faith and the love and the, and the trust and the sacrifice of these men and women who, who, against their will, so willingly obey. So, so willingly uproot their families and their way of life and obedience to the Lord. It's beautiful. We, we today, you know this, we're, we're a mobile culture in a way that the world's never seen. It's, it's common for us to move all the time. You, you army folks do it every two to four years uh, college students, right, you're out here for four to eight years, depending upon how much effort you're willing to put into this. Um, in, in Nehemiah's day, these sort of moves are, are very uncommon. We, we see a lot of them in Scripture, but that's because that's a, usually something big happening when someone just ups and, and moves their entire family. And, um, and yet they do just that. Their, their willingness, and I love to see this, their willingness is, is far more like Isaiah, here am I, send me, than, than it is Jonah, right? Nope on a rope, will not go kind of attitude. And, and so that, that brings us through verse 2 today. Only 60 more to cover. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding, but we're not going to go into them in that detail. Um, like I said before, most of these are, are names of temple servants and singers and gatekeepers and, and various classes of priests and Levites. Uh, I, I just want to point out a, a few more things to you. And the first is in, in verse 11. Just so you understand it when you read this, right? The ruler of the house of God is mentioned there. That, that means the high priest. That's what it's talking about. Uh, verse 12 tells us of, of brothers who, who did the work of the house, uh, right? The house of God, meaning they cared for the inside of the temple. Verse 16, we, we, we learn a, a few names of people who were over the outside work of the house. And again, that's just this area of responsibility that they take on to, to care for, for the temple. Uh, maintenance workers probably, right? Fixing a crack here, removing weeds, uh, making that tree growing out of a place it shouldn't be growing, removed, that kind of thing. Um, there are all sorts of, of lists of the way people serve. And I, I just want you to get the general point. I know we've talked about this recently, so I won't belabor, belabor, belabor it. That's not, anyway. Uh, you know, it, all sorts of gifts, which um, some of them incredibly mundane, are necessary for serving the Lord. You, you know that. Uh, and I want you to really know that. I don't want you ever thinking that you're, you're vacuuming the floor after the service or organizing a fellowship event is it, somehow less honoring to the Lord than the things we, we tend to think of as more honoring. In verse 17, we, we read this. Uh, Madaniah, the son of Micah, son of Zebdi, son of Asaph, 
who was the leader of the, pray, of the praise who gave thanks. This, this fellow, Madaniah, was a Levite that was assigned to the praise of God, singing the reading of psalms, the playing of instruments, and there's just this, this gratefulness here in, in, for the music uh, in, in, in worshiping the Lord. Ray, Raymond Brown here says, Music has played an immense part in the worship of the Lord's people. And throughout history, the church has been indebted to choirs, instrumentalists, and music groups who have offered their gifts to the Lord and enriched our praise in churches throughout the world. Um, It's a beautiful thing to to be able to worship the Lord. Uh, As people move to Jerusalem for security, for for commerce, here we see that all that stuff, right, doesn't really matter if people wander from their Lord, from the God, the God, from God. Um... And the overarching thing I want you to see here is just this priority of, of worshiping the Lord. Uh, and so then the, the first half of, uh, half of chapter 12 continues with a list of more people, right? Only this time it's a list of priests and Levites who, who came in an earlier time with Zerubbabel. Um, and so there are just three more things I want to point out in this passage to you today. Uh, the first is the importance of families that we see here. The, the, the phrase son of is used 59 times in these 62 verses. The word brother shows up 10 times. Father is used 9 times. That's a lot of family terms in this little bitty section. And yes, they're all masculine terms. That's because this is a patriarchal uh, society. That's how they listed things. But it doesn't mean that, that women weren't involved, uh, willingly involved in all sorts of wonderful ways here. And, and so what I want you to, to see here is, is how the service of the Lord is, is passed down within families. And how we see that, right? This, this person served in this way, and their son served in that way, and their son served in that way. And, and I love that we see this, right? That's, that's, um, that, that's why I love seeing covenant children serving here at Manhattan Press, right? And it's not child labor laws, right? That's not what's happening here. But, but to see them alongside their parents or with their parents or alongside other adults that, that love the Lord or other children, right? I, I love seeing the, the Lord's Supper being cleaned up by little Eleanor along some, some older uh, girls that do it with her. And, and, and listen, I know it is, it is as annoying as it is to having to set up and clean this space for worship. It has also been a great tool for us for, for discipling next generations and what it looks like to, to willingly, joyfully be used in the service of the Lord. Further, does it not warm your heart to, to see in these lists of just the true worship of God passing down from generation to generation? I mean, how much do we long for that in our, our own you know, lives from generation to generation. To to see the next generation love the Lord even more than our own generation. It's a deep longing. Secondly, we we see here ordinary people with a vision for what it means for all of life to be lived for the glory of God and for the purposes of God. Because it's so easy to step back and think, okay, what are my things, hobbies I like and entertainment I like and things I really want to kind of invest in. And and they all kind of just be about our, our own life and our own enjoyment kind of uh, idea, and yet here they are just lived out for the glory of God and for the purpose of God. In the, in the past 15 years, uh, among metro regions, there has been this movement uh, of Christians uh, leaving the comfort of the suburbs, seeking to populate, populate significant urban areas, and um, all in the hopes of improving the, the economic conditions and social conditions, and, and motivated to live godly lives for the sake of proclaiming the gospel of Christ there. I, I talk to people from time to time, that's why they're going down, that's what's motivated, it doesn't always work out in the way they want, but that's, that's their goal. 
Uh, and, and really it all comes down to if we're there and, and the area is flourishing and they're seeing us as Christians and dwelling in this area, then, then we have opportunity to share the gospel with people in this area that, that there's not a whole lot of gospel proclamation being done. The, the phrase that tends to accompany that is, is, is in the city for the city. That, that's a phrase that's derived from, from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29.7 where God says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and <clears throat> pray to the Lord on its behalf and, and, and for its welfare. Uh, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And listen, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to, like, right, a lot of people objected on the grounds of uh, God sent them into exile. We're not in exile here. Anyway, when, when I hear it, really, the part that, that really gets to me is that in the, in the city, for the city, I, I really appreciate the intention. I love to see people doing that. But if I'm honest, I get defensive. I didn't used to get defensive uh, when I grew up in Houston, but I get defensive now. Because I think about smaller towns that are filled with people who need Jesus just as much. And, and, and the next question that I begin to ponder when I start seeing this idea of everything needs to go to the city is, is what is Manhattan? Are we a city? Are we a town? A village? Um, like I said, Laura and I grew up in Houston. It's the fourth largest city in the world, or no, nation. Um, and, and so moving to the Little Apple felt a lot like going to a small town. And so it surprised us that we often talk to people that refer to Manhattan as the city, like they moved here and it's a big place. Um, now, to put this all into numbers, right, the highest estimate of the population of Jerusalem uh, after this project is, is about 10,000. How many of you pictured it more like New York City? Right, we're talking 10,000 people here. Manhattan today is 55,000. And so, are we a city? Are we a town? We're five, where's... We're stucky when I need math, right? Um, what is it, 5.1 times more larger than, than Jerusalem? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because this is where you live. Some of you chose to live here. Some of you. The rest of you, the Lord has brought here just as much. You, you live here. For, for the army, right, the, the army has cast the lot for you, and this is where the Lord has placed you for now. This is where the Lord has, has, where God has sovereignly planted you. This is the place that you want to see flourish. This is the place where you want to see the, the gospel take roots in the, in the, in the, in the lives of men and, and women and, and children around you. And, and that means thinking about your day-to-day -day life in terms of how can I live for the purposes of God and not just for myself. God has you in, in the marriage he has you in for a reason. He has given you the job you have for a reason. He has given you the co-workers you have for a reason. God has brought you into this church for a reason. The organizations that you're part of, that you, you're, you're involved in other places, are, are for more than learning music or sports or raising rabbits or whatever it is you're doing in that organization. These places the Lord has called you to, 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 to be a gospel presence in. And so I ask, I mean, are you a gospel presence? Or, you know, a better question is probably how, how, might, how might you more be a gospel presence, more about the mission of God in these places? And that means you start pondering things, you know, start pondering, you start praying, right? Look, Lord, how can I serve you in this space that you have placed me? How can I glorify you? How, how can I serve others in your name and, and, and find a good opportunity to, to learn and be curious about these, the lives of these people? Uh, you know, how can I at some point talk to them about, about Christ where, where it's earnest and real to, to, to have that conversation? Christian, what this... What does it look like for you to live with the purposes of God more so in the, in the center of your thoughts? 
And, and listen, I, you don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to be scared. Trusting God is like that. It's terrifying at first. The last thing is, is this. Uh, it was necessary that the city of Jerusalem be built back up at, at this time. This is the city of, of God, right? This is the city that our, our Savior, about 480 years after all this, would triumphantly enter riding upon a donkey. This is the city where he's going to be tried. This is the city where just outside of it he's going to be uh, crucified upon a cross for your sin and, and my sin and the sins of everyone who trusts in him. And Jesus, you know, is risen from the grave nearby and, and upon his glorious return, which we are still awaiting, Jesus will establish a holy city. Um, a city unlike any that we know today. A, a city in, in Hebrews 11.10 describes as the city whose designer and builder is God. A city which Revelation 21.2 describes like this. Well, listen. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And God will populate this, this eternal holy city with his chosen people, his covenant people. Or, or to borrow the language from verse 3 today, right? With, with you who have willingly offered to live in this city uh, alongside all who have come to believe the gospel, alongside the, the Lord himself. That's a glorious thing that we, we look forward to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you make us willing to submit our lives to your purposes? Whether that means that we go from here to some place you are calling us to take the gospel. Or whether that means we, we truly learn to live with your gospel purposes in this place where you have already sovereignly brought us to live. And teach us to serve you well, to, to value your worship, to be a gospel presence in our neighborhoods, our, our dorms, our barracks, our, you know, our business interactions, or wherever else you take us. And, and Lord, make us willing to submit ourselves to your word, to all the ways it calls us to live each day, which, which you gift us with. Make us willing. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.